So Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio. Today we're in studio again for another in our series of Franklin for All discussions. We've got a group of folks. We'll allow them to introduce our, themselves. So Kobe, why don't you start? Yeah, hi everyone. Kobe Ferngillo. I'm on the Franklin Town Council and Economic Development Committee, and uh, I'm happy to start the conversation after everyone says hi. Uh, good morning, everyone. Melanie Hamblin, Town Council and uh, Chair of the Economic Development Subcommittee and the Steering Committee for the Franklin for All Project. And I think that's kind of why we started this whole thing to help people understand. Uh, I'm Sam Williams. Uh, I'm a member of the Franklin Design Review Commission for the last seven years, uh, and I am the Vice Chairman. Brad Chaffee, Cameron Property Group. We are um, a local developer and a construction company. Franklin. Indeed. And so today for the listeners, fasten your seatbelts. We're going to go on a economic development, design review, Franklin for all, zoning, et cetera, discussion on how we can improve Franklin. And as we mentioned, this is the we've done six. So this is number seven. And I think Kobe, after some of the discussions we've had before, the design review came up a couple of times and you've got some questions in that area. So I think you're going to lead us today. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, if, if if a listener has not listened to the previous uh, discussions, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. This is our seventh uh, discussion around uh, the Franklin for All process of really uh, reviewing our uh, development guidelines um, and zoning and, and how we want uh, Franklin to look and continue to look uh, in the near future, trying to sort of... Uh, talk from a high level, um, a lot of this conversation stemmed from uh, knowing that we need uh, growth to um, make our budget work. Um, but for a long time, we've grown uh, in ways that add to our expenses, right? Going on the edge of town uh, in ways that um, necessitate, um, you know, multiple uh, car uh, cars per household um, that spread everything out and, and create uh, congestion. That's how we've developed over the past 30, uh, 40 years. We know that we need to keep growing, but we can't keep growing uh, in that direction because it just adds to um, the expenses that it it, uh, it takes to uh, keep maintain all that infrastructure. It adds to the congestion. It adds to um, so, some other uh, sort of personnel expenses. And so as we're having this conversation about, okay, well, where do we want to grow? What do we want that uh, to look like? Can't If we invite uh, that growth to be a little more incremental um, in and around our downtown, uh, to allow our downtown to breathe and really become the downtown that it was uh, when Franklin was thriving, um, which was a vibrant, mixed-use, walkable uh, community, uh, if we want to uh, invite that, a part of this uh, conversation is... Uh, we'd still want it to look and feel uh, like the community uh, that we enjoy. And I think that uh, there's a lot in the design side that we take for granted that we don't think about um, in terms of what makes something uh, visually appealing or in line with the character uh, of the neighborhood. Um, we also don't always think that we get control over that, right? We're very into controlling um size of a parcel or size of a building or uh, number of parking spaces um, 
but we talk less or setbacks and where the building could be. Um, and sometimes we talk less about um, what well, we can actually control what uh, what it looks like to some extent, um, or at least encourage uh, it, it to look like um, the types of buildings that we want. Um, I have a, a whole bunch of, of questions and some thoughts on um, how we might be able to do this uh, a little better. Um, but as a sort of summary, um, we have a design review uh commission committee uh and all developers have to bring a project in front of them and they are a recommending body to the planning board so planning board is the ultimate body that needs to uh, approve um, uh, a new building or a major renovation um, and they can take into account uh the design review um feedback uh but it doesn't become an official uh piece of the vote uh, necessarily um, and they base them you know they work around two uh main documents well there's a whole uh, sign process they over uh see signs and that has its own uh guidelines but really around uh building and development two main documents one um is the best development uh guidebook which is practice you know sort of practices for best development practices guidebook uh, that was built that was made in 2016 and it talks mostly about vegetation um, uh, how to match the area of vegetation and a little bit about just how to lessen the ecological impacts and like a sentence on uh, design um, consistency with the neighborhood uh, prior to that 2016 document the only other document is a design review commission design guidelines from 2005, um, and that's the one that talks a little more about um, what the buildings currently look like in Franklin and um, some things to consider. Uh, but again, those are not voting guidelines. Those are not uh, policies. They're not uh, practices. They're really just exactly that guide guidelines, guidebooks um, that developers can choose to look at. I don't even know if any do. Um, and so uh, we have you know very loose uh, standards around all of that. I'd be interested from uh, Sam, your perspective, um, how you see uh, wh what does the process look for you? What do developers bring to the table? Does it typically start in a way that's um, at least conscious of the um, neighborhood character and meets certain design principles? Are they talking about uh, these guidebooks? In meetings, or is it um, just a matter of looking at architectural renderings and sort of um, seeing if it, if, you know, just sort of knowing um, that you guys are from Franklin and, and sort of does it match um, how you want your community to look? Um, I think it varies developer to developer. Um, most of the submissions we get, they'll come with with renderings and they'll be cognizant of at least the. Um, the guidebook that refers to like local vegetation and that sort of stuff. Most most of their engineers have have done that background work to make sure that they're um, they're applying those things. Um, in terms of the the rest of it, um, you know, the the guidelines we have are pretty pretty vague. Um, you know, they they say things about you know being downtown and being within New England character. And that is very, very, very loosely defined. There have been designs that came in front of us that maybe did not look like they were in New England character, but there was nothing specific within that guidebook that we could point to to say, 
this is the reason why. Um, so that, that can make it difficult. But I do think that in general, most of the people that come before us are willing to work with us, even if um, we give them a recommendation that is not necessarily, you know, this is something you have to do. You know, it's, it's not totally defined, but it's our recommendation. They usually uh, take, that to, take that to heart. Um, I've seen that most times. Um, and again, I think they also realize we are a recommending board. The final decision to approve a project goes, um, goes through planning board. And uh, a lot of projects, uh, after they come to us, they see it because of because they have to go to planning board. They go through a few different iterations, and then they don't ever come back to us. So our our purview is is slightly limited, um, which may be a good thing, maybe not, um, depending on depending on where you you stand on those things. Yeah, the the piece about New England character. So that comes from. Uh, the Design Review Commission uh, bylaws, uh, purpose and intent of Design Review Commission. I'll just read this to sort of uh, frame um, sort of what our current design review process. The purpose is uh, to promote safe, functional, and attractive development of business and commercial areas to preserve and enhance the New England character of the town's commercial centers and thoroughfares as a valid general welfare concern to unify commercial properties, both visually and physically with surrounding land uses to facilitate a more health, a healthful urban atmosphere to protect and preserve the unique and cultural features within the town and to protect commercial property values by enhancing the town's appearance. Yeah. And the only bylaw um, sort of directive in terms of design um, is that uh, New England character of the town's commercial centers and their thoroughfares. And again, with that 2005 document, sort of adds a little uh, around that, um, but it's not not necessarily adhered to, um, nor might it be directive enough. Uh, Brett, from your perspective, when you enter uh, a space, I mean, you obviously like, A, you want the project to pass and you want it to be received well by its neighbors. So there's sort of an incentive uh, from that point, just to make sure that you're uh, designing responsibly. My guess is you also want to feel uh, good about the product that you uh, put in. I mean, particularly you're, you happen to be um, from Franklin, but I imagine any project that you do anywhere you, you want to feel uh, proud of. Um, how do you think about in Franklin and other communities um, what the appropriate design standards are given the, given the site? Well, I think a lot has changed, especially from 2005. So if you think about New England character, let's think about what's been built in the downtown since then, right? Yeah, Marini had his projects. They had brick. I won't get into the white brick, the drama behind that, mm -hmm. but they had that, right? So I would say that's more of the New England character. I think when people think of New England character, they think of they think of bricks. They think of uh, we've kind of talked about this before, but. Um, maybe a heavy construction, right? Materials that you build with. Um, so I think in the last 15 or 20 years, uh, whatever you want to call it, just architecture due to cost of materials, new materials has drastically changed. But what we think of now is New England. I don't think you can see that being built as much. Yeah, when you get closer into a city or something, then 
you know, depending on what they get for rents and do it, maybe, maybe their construction um, kind of budgets will allow that. But as you get into the suburbs around here, you, you don't see those buildings being built anymore because of the cost. So how do we kind of change with the times and, and how construction changes, how people change? I mean, even look 2005, uh, the way multifamilies, they, they, they weren't being built like they are today. So just in general, how people live, mm -hmm. there's more demand for mm -hmm. All that's changed. So we start off with a very general New England style. And now I think just in almost two decades, it's really changed. How do you, how do you, how do you keep up with that? I think the help guidelines. Um, so I guess the way we look at it is look at trends and just from being around the industry and see what other people are doing, seeing what people like, uh, like anything. Um, that's kind of how we, how we start. A lot of the architects that we work with too, obviously they're working in other towns and cities, developers. So there's a lot of things that um, be similar in whatever you know, kind of decade of time that they're uh, designing in. So that has a little bit of influence on us. And then as it goes from the architect to us, we say, oh, we love that. What does it cost to do that? Opposed to this, you know, putting fiberboard opposed to, or cement board opposed to vinyl siding. What's the cost difference? Does it matter if it's being sold or rented? Who? So there's a lot of that decisions that go back and forth, but I think it kind of, I think it starts with what's going on and what people are used to and what products are kind of being pushed. I think it's kind of a start point for us developers on, on where we, we start our design. Um, but yeah, I think the kind of the New England style has, uh, maybe we have to rephrase that. I feel like it's, <laughs> I'm just gonna Very ask different. you. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna yeah. ask you about. I'm like, oh, well, what would you call it now instead? Like, it's like maybe we need to take that um, and and add to it. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's, it's different than we think about. I also think you know, in general, New England style. There's different elements to it. Mm -hmm. are, are you talking about commercial big buildings? You're talking about houses. You know, like there's in New England, like we have a lot of traditional colonials. There's the Cape Cod style. Like those two are different from each other just mm -hmm. from right. a housing standard right. and then yeah. from commercial buildings it's it's different you know there's a, you could use any material basically and make it look new england style i mean maybe not like stucco or something like that's a little, probably a little outside of new england style <laughs> right but um you know in, in general i think there's a lot of things that could fit within new england style because it's it is with even within that it's pretty eclectic yeah. um, do you think that um that the New England style means no modern glass and steel building. Like that does it just does it just like cancel out these things, but everything else is okay? Like the like the cave, like the like the um dirt so, buildings, stuff like that. So the, the 2005 document, uh which you know is very easy to roll your eyes that we haven't updated it since 2005, is surprisingly good at uh naming at least a starting place for some of these conversations and i find it to be a helpful place so on the question of exterior materials it says wood clapboards brick stone wood trim and shingled roofing are considered to be appropriate materials materials to avoid or to only be used in small amounts include synthetic stucco vinyl clapboards and metal siding um where possible, you know, they, we should repair existing uh, facades. Flashing materials uh, should not be conspicuous. Um, they're supposed to be attractive and blend with the materials of neighboring buildings. 
um, and building materials that should be durable, of good quality and appropriate uh, to the surroundings. The other thing that they talk about facade are colors should be complementary to the natural materials used on the buildings and to the buildings adjacent to it. So sort of those bricks and um, sort of naturally occurring uh, building material colors. Okay, I think that first one, bricks and wood, would you know, clapboard and, and trim. Like you'll never, you'll never see anyone use that anymore. But what we will use is you're going to use PVC AZEC, which is not a cheap material. It's a forever material. It's still expensive, but it should be PVC. And if you want something that's like clapboard, it should be like a hardy board or something that's a survivor, uh, you know, a um, a uh, cement board. Those are your nice materials of today. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of yeah. uh, like modern composites that yeah, will exactly. give you that same. They give you the same aesthetic. I mean, you can get oh, vinyl can siding that looks pretty good pretty these close. days. Yeah. Um, of course, you know. So, uh, you know, it is tough to say to limit those materials. And I think you know when you're talking about durability and stuff like that and maintenance over time. Yeah. Like if you if you walk through downtown, there are a few a few buildings that um, they have. The materials that would be classified as the uh, traditional New England materials—they are wood and so or brick—and because they haven't been maintained, they don't look great. Mm -hmm. But you know, if they were updated to uh, you know newer composite materials or things like that, and they needed less maintenance, they could—they would still—they could still have that New England feel and character and aesthetic, mm -hmm. you know, without necessarily being those materials. So, um, you know, to Brad's point, I think. Uh, Trends of the, the building materials have changed, and uh, that could be reflected, you know, yes. with an update in the guidelines. Um, yep. But you have to figure out a way to sort of maintain the New England aesthetic in a different way, that define it in a different way. Yep. Yeah, I think for a clarification point, the New England aesthetic that I think most people come to mind with is stuff that was actually built years and years ago before these both the bylaws, zoning bylaws, and design review actually were built and put into place. I think of some of the mills that, at least from a New England town, I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, where we had a lot of uh, triple-deckers, uh, three families, a lot of mills. The mills here were also built in the 1800s, and yeah. some of them still exist, and yet that's the New England character, and it's not, to your point, some of the materials could not be rebuilt today because of that, but to the extent that we've talked that design review guidelines are kind of broad, I think it's good to that extent, and maybe we need to modify some of the specifics around the materials to go more into kind of the look and feel of those materials as opposed to the specific materials. Do any communities that you're in, Brad, uh, give you more specifics? Um, are there processes that you find um, more helpful than others or just, or even just be imaginative and what would be helpful coming to a community um, to know about the design. Again, you're local, you happen to know Franklin. We also want, you know, developers um, from anywhere to be able to compete and, and build projects um, and not have to have too many risks by coming in and building something that people don't like locally. What would be helpful from your perspective? So some of the other towns and cities that we work with, they all vary a lot, which doesn't really answer your question. But as you get closer to the cities and you get into more historical areas, they're very restrictive 
Um, you know, we've done work in Brookline where they're they have little overlay districts and you have to still get, you know, wood windows. And I mean, very, very expensive, you know, very hard to design anything. Um, so, you know, some, I guess it's kind of your appetite too, as a developer, if you feel like going through that, um, and what you, you know, really what's the benefit on the other side of it. Um, so that balance of, in my opinion, I think if you're coming into Franklin, I think even just having little updates to this stuff with modern materials, um, maybe even modern look and feel. I don't, I don't know if we want to get as crazy as putting any pictures of stuff. Things like that tend to get outdated quickly too. Um, so I, I think it's, I think the balance we have is is good. I think it just needs a little updating. Um, I don't think we're a Brookline or a Cambridge where we're going to start getting into very, you know, high historic, high, like here's exactly how we want it to look. I think that's very dangerous. I think you'll have anything ever built. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think it's really just a small update to what we have. I think Franklin's got a pretty good spot in, in, in compared to other towns. Um, we work in Canton a lot too. They're not, they're very similar to us in the sense. Um, they just, I guess on their design review, I didn't look at what dates they had on stuff, but uh, they seem to have, they're a little more down the multifamily path, I feel like. Uh, a little a little more industrial as far as what they allow for heights and things. and So they're a little a little ahead of the curve on that. Um, Another clarification point, if I may. In terms of, I think it was mentioned earlier, that all developments coming through now, is that truly, not necessarily all, and I'm holding air quotes there, um, it's site span site plan specific. So if there's you know a single family home just being built, that doesn't come through your purview through your process. But if there is a site planned and or a uh, use change, then it comes through the process and thereby you're part of that review. Correct. So we, yeah, we see sort of the bigger developments. So if it was a uh, you know like a subdivision or a multi family building multi-family um, place yeah yeah we're not seeing the single family homes and things like that yeah. and then even if it's uh generally if it's a smaller renovation to even you know like uh, uh downtown if somebody was to paint the downtown building mm -hmm. we don't we wouldn't see that before it um before it happened right okay and I know while we're focused on downtown and certainly from an economic perspective, because that's where there's a bunch of opportunity, at least, in, that Kobe has referred to in regards to having greater density, utilizing those. The other piece from a, and then certainly I'm not, a, I'm, while I'm a longtime Franklin resident, I'm not a native, we've got the two exteriors in terms of 140. And that is a heavily commercial area that really feeds even if somebody's going to go downtown, they have to come through one of those two <laughs> yeah. spots. Is is there anything in your review that trying to get at that consistency of approach, or is it focused by specifically the zoning districts? Um, so within the sign review bylaws, there is sort of a corridor along 140 that's like the commercial corridor, and there's some industrial pieces, but generally. So we see the stuff that goes into the, the industrial parks on either end. Mm -hmm. um, and we see, I would, but I would say that most of the stuff we, we do see being developed is, is downtown. Um, so it is, is sort of focused, I think, 
How long, how often do you meet? And uh, it goes through the process questions again. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because we don't really talk about it too yeah. much. A lot of people probably don't even know that there is a design review process. Um, and, how, and how long does it take for you to to, to discuss the the review? Do the people do you send people away? Do they come back? And and like how does that work for you? So we meet uh, twice a month on Tuesdays. Um, I'm gonna get it wrong, but I think it's the first and third Tuesday, or it's either okay. the first and third, or second and second. I can never remember. Um, but Typically, when someone comes to us, um, which we try to get them in and out of there in one night, especially because we are we are a recommending board, right? Um, and we want to to be helpful to them to get them to where they need to be. So when they get in front of planning board, things can go smoother. Um, occasionally, we ask that they do come back, or we give a recommendation with stipulations. Um, you know, we'll say. We recommend uh, your building facade as long as in your submission you provide um, the specifications for this material and that material right. or the colors uh, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's typically a, a, a one night event with us. Yeah. Um, and then, that's good. Yeah. We're thinking about like, how do we streamline this and make it easier? Yeah. Right? So, Occasionally, if, yeah. if someone comes in and they don't have all the materials and things like that, that we'll ask them to come back. So we review, we'll take a look at their site plan. We'll take a look at um, their building elevations their and their renderings, um, their landscaping plans and their lighting plans. Mm -hmm. um, and typically from a landscaping perspective, we're making sure that they follow the, the guidelines. Uh, they have the right native trees, things like that. Um, from a lighting perspective, we're making sure that they're not shining lights on neighbors. So we, we look for a photometric plan that shows zeros at the property lot. Mm -hmm. um, from a facade perspective, we're yeah, just knowing the guidelines. Right. You know, we're just trying to make sure that their building isn't uh, you know, completely off the wall. Um, and, uh, and from a site plan perspective, I think in general, most of that stuff is good because they're gonna go in front of planning board and planning board's doing the real work there. But we look for things like do they have uh, air handlers that are going to be noisy to their neighbors? Mm -hmm. um, you know, are there gas meters located on the front of the building where it's going to, you know, sort of look ugly right. if they're, um, you know, are they going to dump snow against a fence that's going to fall into their neighbor's yard? Things like that. Like, it's sort of, we're looking for the low-hanging fruit. And then I think um, planning board does the real work of making sure, you know, site drainage and the curb cuts and all that stuff are, are right. accessibility. Right. That's helpful, though. So we go, you know, go design review first. You kind of get some of those easy ones off. I know um, just landscaping and lighting, sometimes you don't realize it's a little bit of light spillage. So mm -hmm. it is helpful as a developer to go to design review first, get some of that stuff organized. And I think in the past too, some of the planning boards have, you know, when you tell them you've gone there, here's what we've changed and done. Okay, great. You know, you're kind of mm -hmm. a little bit along your way already too. So that, that part is very helpful. Yeah, it was going to be one of my other questions. I, I don't think it exists. I think I've heard conversations around, you know, as to what should the start point be in the process of getting a site plan approval. Clearly, the doc has to be required with uh, planning board, et cetera. Um, but there's also the tech review committee, yeah. which ideally should be the first point in terms of yes. kind of the flyby, make sure you're Absolutely. in the right place and get the directions. <clears throat> but it sounds like design review could be 
in advance of, or in some cases, people will start and then come to you? Is that, that may be one of the things that we can kind of, you know, recommend to, to put a formal process step through. I am actually not sure how often people see tech review before us or after us. Right. You do? You should go first. Typically, our process yeah. is we go to tech review first. Okay. Really, it's meeting, you know, town right. administrators, departments, and all that, saying, here's our idea. What do you think? That, right. that helps us flush out everything before we go into, um, you know, heavy engineering. And then you find something. You yeah. 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 So if we get the, you know, the town likes the project, what it is, has some recommendations, we do that. At least now we know we have um, the town support outside of the boards. That's enough. To be comfortable to go forward with mm -hmm. you know submitting so that, sure. that really should be that i know we always do that first mm -hmm. yeah it really should be yeah um sometimes in the past we've flip-flopped either you know depending on when the meetings were if we go right. to planning board first, then design review or design review first so um like i said if you go there first hopefully you get a lot of those landscaping and lighting and all that stuff done first um but I think on the early side, the faster you go to design review in, you know, submitted in the process is, is the best. Mm -hmm. Well, if you, if you have a comment on, on the specific process, I, I, I wanted to bring us back to sort of um, basic design principles and, and what I'm thinking about there. Did you have a comment on the process? Yeah, I was going to continue on the process. So that might be one of the recommendations we come up with because I have heard from other developers, at least, Oh, after the fact that they wish they had known of the tech review because they could have started there, gotten some of their issues resolved before coming into the process. And I realized that it's not going to be kind of a simple piece that there will be a checklist and then there may be variations depending upon what the nature of the project is. Mm -hmm. So just thinking of the Grove Street apartment piece, now you've got a piece of property that is, you know, varied. And now they need to bring in conservation as well and to get some pieces there. There's going to be aspects of that along the way, I would think, in terms of having a process with a start and a smooth flow. Um, but one of the other pieces that we had started at some point, we conceived of this kind of, you know, from a bylaw perspective, you get setbacks and heights and restrictions, et cetera. They're kind of all gears and wheels that we want to try and make sure so that th things can flow through a little bit smoothly. We talked about the time of the design process from a planning and developer perspective, and you've got the architects working on it before you even bring it into the process. And then if you have to make changes, that lengthens your process, mm -hmm. that lengthens your costs and expenses, et cetera. Um, so maybe setting up for what Kobe's gonna, what are kind of the gears and wheels in the design review other than kind of the New England character? Are there some other pieces in there that we can add to this mix? Yeah, so when I think of uh, design, I, I think you touched upon two things. One is uh, the importance of the clarity of the process, right? Whatever we do, we don't want it to uh, add unreasonable expense to developers or really unreasonable risk to uh, developers because that, those are expenses that can be variable and uh, developers don't like that, right? The, like uncertainties of how long this process can take. Uh, is this going to be approved or not, right? That, that's the very thing that we're most trying uh, to avoid, to welcome uh, people who want to come and improve uh, our our community and and um, produce the types of uh, projects that we want. 
Um, and so being upfront about process and being upfront about guidelines is key. When I think about guidelines for uh, design, the ones that we focus on right now are landscaping and lighting. Um, and those are very key pieces. Um, and I think we actually do a pretty good job of like um, laying out, you know, what it is that you should have for trees, what it is that you should have for uh, different plants, what, what your lights uh, should look like, where they should um, be be shining, uh, some of the more out, uh, you know, out, out, outdoor stuff. In terms of actual building, um, and in no particular order, I break it down to um, materials and colors sort of related to that. Uh, windows, glazing, um, height, shape, uh, awnings, what to do with, with awnings sort of coming out uh, off the property. Uh, rooftops, what do we want um, rooftops to look like? Um, and then, and then that, the landscaping piece. And we can be as specific or um, as little specific as we want. I, I will say that we, we sort of have danced around it. I think that there are natural um, market uh, forces to encourage good development practices as is. So um, it's nice um, to feel like you have a grasp on um, the design. I'm happy if we're going to focus attention on um, some things, I'd rather it be focused uh, on the design side, but I do think that there is like a, an opportunity to sort of catch our breath and know that um, just from the very fact that people want to feel good about their buildings and need to sell them, um, that there, there's sort of some natural incentives to uh, design it well and design it in, um, consistent with uh, the community. Um, on some of those, a big one that I think about a lot is that Windows piece. Uh, I think as we talk about, okay, from on, if you're if you're standing on Main Street. Uh, and feeling what Main Street feels like. And then just on the other side of the triangle, you're standing on West Central Street, um, maybe in front of the Black Box and, and Santa Fe. Those feel like very different places. And we talk about a few uh, reasons why they feel like different places. Some of it is pure uh, zoning, right? Saying it's setback, saying that um, we want the buildings all the way up uh, to the street level because that helps make this space feeling close. Um, we want your parking to be behind the building, not in front. Um, some other pieces are, uh, oh, and obviously like mixed use buildings, you know, where there's, there's a little bit of pipe to it. Um, that piece around uh, glazing or transparency of the uh, front level, I think is pretty big, right? If you think of uh, buildings that you enjoy walking past, the ability to look into them and see a certain amount uh, into them, sort of regardless of what they are, um, helps make it more visually appealing at the pedestrian level. Like it's just a more interesting thing uh, to walk by. We know that we like this about Main Street and we know that the properties that we don't like on Main Street are those that um, make their, that really, really tint their windows or even put uh, curtains in front of their windows that, so that you can no longer uh, see. And so I think uh, that's an, a huge opportunity, right? Can we have transparency requirements uh, from the first floor uh, level? I, I go back to on, on some of the other things around shape uh, and rooftops. Again, this 2005 document does a surprisingly good job. And I think one of my recommendations would be that we revisit this and, and sort of re-encourage um, 
developers to to look at this because uh, they they talk about um, some of the the shape uh, pieces. Uh, building facades should define the base, middle, and roof line of the building. Uh, that's something that I don't think about uh, a lot. Um, there should also be uh, different treatment of windows at the base, middle, and upper sections uh, of the building. Again, if you look at the, those main street buildings, you see that you can clearly differentiate the floors. The first floor is bigger than the other floors. There's a change of windows as you go up. There's consistency, um, uh, you know, going down um, in the buildings as well. There's a certain um, uh, symmetry to that. So there, there are some opportunities that we can be a little more specific in terms of um, shape. Um, and and that rooftops is, a, is another big one in terms of like not yeah. having excessive rooftops. Sorry, I, I, I'm getting into uh, spitting a whole bunch out, but I'd be interested if people had thoughts on, on any of that. Well, I, as, as I was just saying, Kobe, I think some of that in general is just is just good architecture, you know, creating hierarchy and, uh, you know, and things like that, which you, you try to do, which architects try to do. Um, to, to create an aesthetically pleasing building. Um, and uh, and I, I do think in downtown, I, I would say the main thing that makes Main Street and 140 different is, uh, to, to me, it's not even the buildings, it's just the it's the streetscape. On on Main Street, you, you have parallel parking, you have trees, like you have the brick sidewalks. On 140, you have, uh, a street <laughs> and a sidewalk. sidewalk and sometimes uh as a person who's have walked downtown with a stroller you're dodging telephone poles and things like that it's much easier and a much more pleasant experience to walk down main street than it is to walk down 140. Mm -hmm. um honestly if it wasn't for the fact that the fire station was on 140 and my kids like it i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't walk away of it um so yeah, we, we did talk about that. We talked yes. about the feeling of being safe and comfortable. Right. Right. And that's and that was one of the differences mm -hmm. between these two areas. Yeah. Um, how do we make it safer? How do we make people comfortable walking? Yeah. yeah. But one of the things that like Kobe mentioned is about about the buildings being at the street and the parking behind. Yes. And that to me, I believe it's actually in that document. I might I just think I just scanned something about the parking that it says we want your parking behind the building and um to me that's really key like, like we for me to feel comfortable and safe and to enjoy walking i'd like to be able to look in the windows i like to see what every like window shop or to see what shop has to offer and then um not to have a big expanse of asphalt um that gets hot um, when I'm trying to walk by or, or like I'd rather have those buildings close to the road, I would go in them. I mean, I kind of actually stay away because I don't like I'm not I'm not walking across the asphalt. <laughs> so I'll go I'll go down the street to something else. And 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 so but we have to like think about like why is it that I don't want to do yeah. that? Yeah. And how do we make it so that it's inviting to everyone? When you, when you have that street facing retail, that's what activates the street and brings people there. Um, and, you know, I, I think having, I, I think on Main Street, we do a much better job of that than on the other stretches. Um, you know, it also helps to have the right business types in place that are inviting for people to, um, to want to be at during the day or in the early evening and things like that. Um, 
you know. Um, and also, like we, the parking situation has has been something that's really been been worked on, um, and to help try to to improve things, um, you know. And to me, like parking is is less important. Like I think the two days that um, people spend the most, like they're the most people downtown are Strawberry Stroll and Harvest Fest, and there's no parking to be had downtown, and people still find a way to get there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you know, parking, parking might be a little overrated, um, in that, uh, in that sense. Yeah, speaking um, our language, right? Um, okay. So, you know, but I, I, you know, the, the, the main street experience in our, in our town is, I think is good and improving. Um, and if we could get more stretches that were like that on 140 and other places, I think it would be very helpful. Um, and while we haven't touched on signs much, I think one of the pieces, and we probably should do a separate entire show on signs, yeah. uh, but the other piece, I think, in terms of the uh, downtown, the look and feel, uh, navigation, and wayfinding, the town certainly is going to be beginning the entire branding concept, wayfinding signs. Um, and there are aspects of that. They're in that design space as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think that the the branding wayfinding sign piece of identifying who we are, who we want to market ourselves to be, and then uh, putting that into consistent colors, consistent signs, and using that to direct people around town and welcome people uh, to town will have a huge impact on how uh, visually appealing um, Franklin's downtown is, and just how it feels to to navigate. Uh, Franklin as a whole. So I'm very excited about that process. We just set uh, some money aside to match state funding that we got. Um, so now I think we have $100,000 set aside to um, really kickstarting that effort, which might be a, a multi-year effort, but we'll, uh, I'm very optimistic about the impact. We'll have on, on town. I think wanted to pick up on Sam's point, to the extent that both the uh, Harvest Festival, Strawberry Stroll. I mean, people are downtown, they got there and they're walking around and being fine. The parking piece, I think, will be, now that we've added those 70 to 80 additional parking spaces, that's where the signage will really help. So granted, those of us in Franklin kind of know the ins and outs where to park. For somebody to come, we do want people to come here. Right, outside of Franklin. <laughs> outside of Franklin. Yes. Yeah. to help them find, oh, I can park here. I can park here. Oh, and that's not that far. Right, right. That, that'll be key pieces and it'll take some time to get there, but I think that'll be key to get there. Yeah, I think we're, we're like on the road and we're headed in the right direction, right? There's, um, we know what we need to do. We just, there's only a few of us. <laughs> and, um, but we're gonna, we're, we'll just keep, moving forward i think the branding and i'm really excited about that i'm also but in the master plan and i think like um we we need to continue this conversation in the franklin for all the things we learn through that process and through these podcasts because we're i learn every time we talk to it, another person it's really interesting how we can make it easier to get the things we want to see mm -hmm. Right. And I think Kobe says it all the time, like we've zoned up, zoned it so that we can't do the things we want to see anymore. So that's, you know, we're trying to change that so that we can get these things done. Uh, and every, th every little thing that we do I think is going to help 
And, um, but it's, it's interesting to me to think like what Brad, I like Kobe's point about Brad is in other towns and he works in other towns. Also the, um, what other towns call their aesthetics. Do they say New England? Um, or what, what else, what else do they have in there? Let me tell you all. Okay. I mean, but that that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Like so that as Kobe mentioned, how do we make it so that the developers are comfortable and that they want to come to Franklin because they can understand the process and what what we need them to do? Because it's sort of like other places, except it has a Franklin stamp on it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think. It's important to make it so that developers want to come to Franklin and um, and make a good product. But I I think you know it's also important that the people who are here in Franklin are open to what the developers are doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, right. I, making it so that it can be a more seamless process and there's less uh, butting of heads, and less uh, you know, yeah. less fighting over what's being done. Um, I think is is best for for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, there's there's a lot of nuance to that because there's a lot of different um, <laughs> a lot of different opinions, and yeah. um, you know, you're you're not going to make 100 percent of the people happy every time, but if you can make a lot of the people happy some of the time, then I think you're doing a really great job. Yeah, that's great. I love that. <laughs> it feels it feels like um, sometimes we add too much time and money onto doing things because of the budding of the heads, yeah. and that's kind of what we're trying to tease out to find where we can mm -hmm. help. Yep. Sorry, Kobe. No, that, that's it. I mean, what we talk about in terms of, okay, we don't want less community engagement. We want to front load community engagement so that it minimizes risk through the process, right? Mm -hmm. How much, and this is what Franklin for All is, is like, how much can we bake in to our zoning, have a large conversation about what we want the town to look like, and then just agree on some basic principles of like, these are types of things that we want to town. We've already all talked about it. These are types of buildings. Now, there's not going to be 100% agreement in that. But there's also not going to be 100% agreement later. We'd rather um, get as much of our uh, agreement to the front so that uh, people come, can come in. Right now, some crazy high percentage um, of processes require a special permit, which means they require um, a sort of uh, subjective hearing of uh, whether what we like, what we don't like, and, uh, and an opportunity to continue that uh, sort of indefinitely. That, those are the types of risks. If there are certain projects um, from a, a use uh, standpoint, from a uh, location standpoint, and now what we're talking about from a design point, if there are just certain principles that we can all agree to, we want to allow um, some of those uh, projects. In. And so it's about yeah putting that process earlier. As I am thinking about this, I really think that we have an opportunity similar to the 2016 one to update the 2015 definitions of what we mean by New England character and make that clearer for developers, simplify it, get it uh, shorter. And uh, to me, that's like a good opportunity. Um, maybe that could be uh, started by the Design Review Commission um, to have public hearings around, uh, okay, well, how do we feel about uh, these wordings? And then just sort of um, agree to some of those principles. Um, I, I, you know, so as we talk about sort of balancing um, those, it's, yeah, to me, it's public hearings in the front to decide what we agree on and then allowing some of those things to go through. One other uh, point as, as we're sort of rounding out 
uh, this conversation. What some communities and, and what has started to become more uh, in style, um, although it, it's still pretty rarely used because it's hard to change zoning, is to entirely change zoning codes to be form-based. Um, what's called form-based zoning, which basically when you come in and you have to go through those tables of, um, okay, well, I need to find my height here. And I remember I'm in the R3 district. Okay, I'm looking at the height table. And then, all right, now I need to look at the use table, uh, which is somewhere different. Uh, it's all sort of organizing it by here's the area. And what we're going to show you first are the types of buildings uh, that are allowed in those area. And then sort of secondary, here are the sort of um, pieces to consider in terms of uh, parking and, and uh, things like that. So it's just a different way of presenting uh, the zoning that uh, allows it to be a little more accessible uh, to developers, which to me is um, a dream step to, to get to, although there might be a, an intermediary piece. Toby, can I jump in for a second? I just want to, yeah. uh, you, you talked about front loading sort of the community engagement process. I can't remember the last time a member of the public came to a design review meeting. <laughs> it, it's just, it's not something that happens. So like if maybe better publicizing our meetings so that people can have a, a part, you know, they can have a say in where these buildings are going sooner in the process. That way groups like Brad's group and things like that, they're not, you know, getting through schematic design and design development into, you know, some real, like real building stuff. And then having people come out of the woodworks complaining about what they're doing later in the process. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I think you're absolutely right about that community engagement piece. A lot of times people don't even know projects are happening until it's it's too late. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Um, right. So so yeah, I think that point about it, getting the community engagement up front would be a lot better. Um, you know, they go through tech review early and they get a sense of, of what's possible from the town's perspective. But getting that sense of what is going to be, uh, you know, make people in the town happy, other people, the public, um, should have should happen earlier as well. There should be mm -hmm. a piece of that, and that's where people coming to design review right. to speak their piece would, would be helpful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to make my life more difficult. So <laughs> <people want to. laughs> Join the club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one one of the other things that's really important is to get uh, the public input on the 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 guidelines the design guidelines so that mm -hmm. we know that this is what people like this is what people want to see so when you have a project in front of you you have a better idea of what will be accepted and what um what will fit mm -hmm. into those those things yeah that make it that would make it easier yeah communications i think agree and i agree especially from my role <clears throat> personally i follow kind of follow the money, but I also ignore that entire planning, design review, CONCOM, conservation commission flow of stuff that actually is happening. I simply don't have the time to follow right. it. Um, but as an organization, i.e. TV and radio, certainly we share those. We're also looking to make them much more aware to your point so that Somebody, and I know uh, George at the FinCon says, nobody ever shows, although he doesn't count me showing up at <laughs> FinCon meetings. Or me. But if nobody's ever showed at the design review, that, that itself is an issue. We yeah. need to share that out. As we're kind of wrapping, one of the other things I'd like to do too is 
while we've talked of design and some of the guidelines, et cetera, is there something we've talked we haven't talked of from a design review point of view that would be helpful in this kind of big discussion? Not that we can resolve it today, but at least mm -hmm. get it we out for <laughs> we have to start to talk about it. Uh, so recently within the design review commission, we've had a discussion about design bylaws and, and where those things go because we've recently had an influx of a few new members. Um, and, and we've always sort of had issues around, um, you know, there are unique situations in certain places that maybe aren't covered by the bylaws. And um, we actually had a very helpful meeting with uh, town planner, Brian Downer. Um, mm -hmm. And he, he made us realize some of the stuff is in the, the, the bylaws and we just, you know, Yes. As a design review commission, we've been doing it a certain way for so long and new people come in and they just start doing it the same way. And so we we actually like look back and, and we realized we we had been grandfathering signs. We shouldn't have been. Um, uh -oh. We uh, weren't necessarily applying this, the dimensional um, standards correctly, things like that. And that was a super helpful discussion. And that was all part of our broader discussion about how we can tighten up the, the sign bylaws um, to make it easier for sign makers and business owners mm -hmm. and ourselves. Um, and and so that was that was super helpful. And it was uh, it's also been great having the new members on the board who have also helped us realize like maybe we weren't doing things right. But we also have open positions on the board we'll put a plug in yeah. there so uh i think, I think the fun yeah so i think right now i think there's two or three open positions on the board um so on the commission um mm -hmm. so we'd love to have anybody and the people on the design review commission come from all all walks um you know we have an architect we have an engineer um we have a lawyer, um, we have somebody who works in defense. Like it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily be, um, you know, have a design background. You just have to have, uh, you know, an, an opinion on how you, you want the town to uh, to look. So right. willingness to be part yeah, of the conversation. Willingness to be part of the conversation. Okay. So I just wanted to add one thing as we wrap up. Yep. Um, thank you, Sam. One of the things that, I've been trying to work on for seven years is the, is the Sam, is the Sam, is the sign bylaw. Um, <laughs> they kind of drive me crazy. So um, definitely we need to make that a little bit easier. But one of the things that Steve said is he falls the money. Um, what we're talking about right now is part of the money. It's part of new growth. Yes. And um, this is really super important to the budget. And I think our next podcast, we're going to talk about what it means to the budget. So just to like, wet people's appetites a little bit for the next <laughs> podcast um but it it is a part of our revenue mm -hmm. and it's very important it's a key um, piece of the revenue point for anybody who has been close to it and if you haven't should look into and chloe we will be helping to expand that conversation around new growth what is it and what impact does it have on our budget um yeah. as we go forward and that ties us back right even to Kobe, in terms of the way we started this with some of the design and zoning changes with yep. the gears and levers, we want to make things easier and smoother to go through so that we can build the density in the right way, right? I think so, yeah. That we as a, as a community, um, inherent to our tax system is um, our ability to provide services is uh, one in one 
with our value um, as a community, the value of our properties. And so the way that we design, the way that the, that certain properties interact uh, with each other is uh, sort of the whole ball game in terms of um, our ability to provide uh, the services that we enjoy. So as we navigate these processes, it's been fun to sort of do uh, deep dives into little pieces. And I really appreciate uh, Sam coming in. I always find him to be uh, thoughtful on on matters uh, around this and, and certainly knowledgeable through his um, design review work. So that this has been a, a helpful piece. And I'm excited to do some follow-ups on, uh, you know, how, how can we sort of improve our, our uh, guidelines um, and, and strengthen our guidelines around uh, design review as we think about uh, rezoning our, our town. Yeah, I think this gives us a, a natural close to this session, but it sounds like there's an opportunity for more of these topics as we go forward. So just a quick reminder to the listeners, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley, the piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.